This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller, Danny Nelson, and Cam Thompson as they seize the world of crypto. Hello, everybody. This is Carpe Consensus, a podcast from the Coindesk Network, and I am Ben Schiller, the features editor here at Coindesk. And joining me today is Danny Nelson. Hi, Danny Nelson. Hello, hello, Ben. I'm feeling a little influential today. How are you feeling? I'm feeling enormously influential, and thanks for coming on the show. And uh, Cameron Thompson, you are Web3 reporter here at Coindesk. Congratulations on that. You know, I've done a lot of different things. I've been TikToker, I've been editorial intern, been a news reporter. So another exciting step, covering Web3 stuff. It's pretty cool. Congratulations on that. All right, we've got a bumper, 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 bumper show for you today. We're going to go through some of the latest news from the space. We're going to look at a big franchise series that Coindesk just published recently called Most Influential, which is our list of the 50 people who defined the year in crypto. And we're going to be joined by Jeannie Kim, who is the list editor at Coindesk and the main mover behind that. And we're also going to have an interview with BitBoy that Cam did in recent Art Basel. Okay, we're going to do a segment now called Crypto Catch Up. This is where we catch up our listeners on the latest breaking news in our sector. So Danny, what's on your mind? What's on the uh, radar for you? What's on the radar for me is how broken the news is. I'm paying attention to Sam Bankman-Fried, the fallen angel at the head of FTX, uh, formerly at the head of FTX. He is continuing his apology tour in the wake of that company's collapse, going on any media platform that will have him saying, I don't know where the money is. I'm so sorry. I'm going to make it all right. And you know what? I don't buy it. He's really just saying the same thing in a thousand different ways. He's just out there for the publicity, trying to rehabilitate his image. And I don't think that we should be giving him too much thought these days. What do you think? So this is very interesting. I mean, there's a lot of conjecture about this. I mean, uh, most professional PR people and lawyers especially are saying he's an idiot for going on this this tour because he's basically self-incriminating himself. And that seems to be the truth. I would certainly agree with that. But there is a, a strain of thought that this could be some kind of weird backwards way to help himself that he's winning in the court of public opinion. So I think the jury is maybe still out. But what do you think, Danny? I think that it is a very smart and savvy thing he's doing, completely inadvisable from a legal standpoint, but he's going to win some people over to his side just by virtue of putting himself out there. I, for one, don't think that media platforms should be giving him free will to do so. Are you saying that if he came to Coindesk with an interview, you would turn it down? Oh, I would absolutely take it. Um, but I would really... <laughs> that sounds like a contradiction, Danny. Oh, 100%. Uh, only for me, not for thee, right? But no, I would push him on the questions. I'd make him squeal, or I'd, I'd try to, because I think that it's very important that w- when we have this type of figure, we hold him to account, because he's saying he's going to make everything better. He's not in FTX anymore. He is not FTX. He doesn't have the ability to fix this. Cam, what do you think? Is he helping himself or hindering himself? I mean, at first, I was kind of shocked when Danny said this is a smart and savvy approach. I mean, I really did not think this was smart and savvy at all, you know, to be going on this apology tour, to be making these addresses about FTX, about all the different ways that he fell short. But in a way, you know, he's putting himself out there. So he is going to be held accountable. And I think that as the media, we really need to do a good job asking these hard questions. 
The thing that stands out to me the most is the fact that he's been invited to speak on Capitol Hill, and he's saying he's not ready to do so. Why is he saying that? Why is he willing to talk to anyone in the media that wants to have him, but he won't go on Capitol Hill? Because if he goes on Capitol Hill to a hearing, he's under oath. And that has a little bit more legal implications than just spouting off on a podcast. So I think that tells you a lot right there. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I was just going to chime in and say the fact that he's willing to do a Twitter spaces with BitBoy, but he's not willing to go under oath to Capitol Hill says a lot. I like the explanation that SBF is suffering from a psychological condition known as main character syndrome. And this is the idea that if you're used to being in the limelight, as SBF surely was, then, uh, you know, when you're falling out of the limelight, you're doing anything to get back into it. So this isn't really about an apology tour. This isn't really about FTX. This isn't really about some clever, you know, PR maneuvering. This is really about somebody who's in love with the image of himself in the media and being in the media and can't stay away from it. And that seems to make a lot of sense to me. It's basically a vanity tour rather than an apology tour. Okay, so in recent news from NFT land, basically the same thing as the metaverse, but where I spend most of my time. Last week, Coinbase stopped mobile transfers of NFTs because Apple is attempting to take 30% of the gas fees used to make these transfers due to in-app purchases. So this is a fundamental issue with the Apple API being so focused on a Web2 strategy, attempting to adopt these new Web3 technologies, but still held back by their old regimes. So in this Twitter thread that Coinbase posted in order to make the announcement, they compared this phenomenon that's going on to Apple trying to take a cut of emails sent over internet protocols. I'm just curious, Ben and Danny, what are your thoughts on this? Well, this is exactly why we've got Web3, right? It's because uh, these greedy, horrible Silicon Valley uh, companies like Apple, Google, Facebook, and the rest are gouging our uh, internet lives. I mean, these are systems that were supposed to be peer-to-peer, and it's only through a sort of a fault of history that we don't have open systems that are free like email, that we have situations like this where basically companies like Apple are gouging our creativity and our money and, and taking something for nothing. That's my opinion. Totally. You know what? I'm here for it. I like it. I like this idea that Apple can make its own rules and have these inane taxes on just the fundamental infrastructure of crypto. And here's why I like it, because it's creating this obvious downside effect that's going to push people to create new systems. If everything just kind of works, no one's going to, you know, gun up and figure out a new way of doing it. But even if in the edge cases, these inane taxes are being implemented, people are going to be pushed to create new ideas and new ways of doing things. So that's why I like it. That's, that's a crazy, crazy argument. Tell me, one of you got to start. Yeah, Ben, you go. You, you're, you're, you have something to say. That's like saying uh, you approve of murders because it makes us all approve of the sanctity of life. I mean, that's a crazy argument. I think that because Apple is acting in such a way that it is, we're going to have people push to create new systems that are outside of it. And that's the whole point, right? Like, we shouldn't have to rely on Apple to have these systems. And we do. And we're only upset because we still subject ourselves to the Apple ecosystem. So if we realize that the Apple ecosystem is as crazy as it is, then we're going to have to think, well, why don't we have a better way of doing it? And that's what people are going to have to figure out. I mean, yeah, people might have to go figure that out. But in the same way, you know, we're looking at these different Web3 native protocols being developed when at the same time, a lot of these Web2 brands are stepping into Web3. 
And I think that we're moving to a place where we need to decide which approach we're going to take. If we're going to be Web3 native with different types of products, or we're going to be Web2 and Web3 focused. So having those Web2 companies adopting Web3 strategies. And I think that this Coinbase halting their NFT transfers is a perfect example of where Web2 companies trying to adopt Web3 strategies is going wrong. Well, Coinbase is a Web2 company. It's not a Web3 company. Coinbase is an entity that has a board that is fully corporatized. And the fact that the the NFT transfers are really just gas fees because this is not NFT sales. I mean, that yeah, that, that just focuses the limelight on the fact of the on-chain transfer. But I think that this is a good thing because it's going to force people to realize, like it's forcing you guys, should we subject ourselves to Apple? And if the answer is no, well, then what's the alternative? Let's go build it. One other thing maybe we should mention here is that, you know, Apple, Facebook, you know, Amazon, these are all companies that are Web2, but they're also uh, listed on Wall Street. And, you know, the investors on Wall Street, the fund managers and so on are crying in the uh, ears of these executives telling them to make as much money from us as possible. And so Apple, in a way, is, you know, it's beholden to Wall Street and it has to do these things. You know, it might not be anything to do with Web 2 or Web 3. It might be to do more with fund managers on Wall Street, telling these companies to gouge as much money from us as possible. I, I completely understand that. I just want to make another point too, arguing for these Web 2 companies moving into Web 3, is that, you know, having the Coinbase NFT marketplace on the App Store is just one way that we can make these technologies widely accessible. One of the channels that's going to somehow facilitate mass adoption, yes, I understand Coinbase isn't necessarily a Web 3 company. But the technology that's behind it is going to give people a way in order to access these different technologies. Also, I mean, people can't gift their loved ones NFTs for the holidays anymore out of their Coinbase wallet. I mean, the timing is just so poor. Oh, my goodness. That's, I'm so sorry for all those people who can't send their family their <laughs> NFTs. I'm telling you, I'm well, telling you, shall they will do. be impacted. Okay, that was a humorous segment. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, where Web3 meets IRL, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer marketers, advertisers, brand leaders, creators, builders, founders, entrepreneurs, and more. Visit coindesk.com consensus. We're welcoming to the show Jeannie Kim, the senior editor of Lists and Rankings here at Coindesk to talk about the biggest, most influential story of the year, or rather stories, or rather stories about people that are influential. That's right. It's Coindesk's most influential. Jeannie, you got to bring us through this list. I want to know who you think, who do we think as a publication were the most important people, the most influential people in crypto in 2022? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I do have recency bias. So I'm going to say CZ and SBF are probably my top two most influential people of 2022. And for the listening public who isn't aware, of course, these acronym figures are both critically important. CZ is Shengpeng Zhao, the CEO of Binance, the world's reigning top crypto exchange. And SBF is Sam Bankman-Fried, the former CEO, of course, of FTX, who CZ personally executed earlier this month when CZ ousted and, and, and destroyed Sam Bankman-Fried. Really 
like showcasing his influence. And I think that, in my opinion, he really does earn that top spot. Agreed. And we put 40 billion in quotation marks because at this point, it's still unraveling and we don't actually know how big his rival was. So that would be uh, $40 billion for the assumed amount of uh, FTX's valuation, which is now being called into question because we can't really trust any of the accounts that they had or any of the statements that SBF was making because everything was saying was to uh, put a fine point in it full of S-H-I-T. So um, that's why it's in uh, quotation marks. So Jeannie, just to explain, this isn't a list of popularity. It isn't a list of necessarily of achievements. There are a lot of rogues and questionable people on this list, aren't there? Yes. We make a point of saying this is not a list of the most admired, but the most influential. And there are plenty of examples on our list of bad influencers. So Jeannie, uh, just take us behind the scenes at Coindesk. How was this list arrived at? I mean, uh, it must be pretty difficult to take the very diverse world of crypto with the many wonderful and crazy people in it and narrow it down to 50 names. How, How did we do that? Well, basically, Coindesk reporters are the most knowledgeable people about crypto, blockchain, Web3. And so what we did was we created something called a spaghetti board, and we said, throw your names at it, and then let's discuss. And then we took these initial ideas and we gave them to the public and opened a poll and said, tell us what you think. And also, who have we missed? Give us your nominees. From there, we took the information that we got from the public, and then we also had further discussion with the Coindesk staff, and that's how we winnowed it down to 50, and we made the final determination. So it was an editorial decision. But then, of course, news kept breaking because the FTX collapse happened just you know within the last month. So that happened while we were working on this list. Did that have an effect on the rankings? Like, were we going into the final stages of this thinking, well, this person should be up here or down there because of X, but now everything is different and so we have to shake it up? It did, but I want to first say that it's not meant to be a ranking. So we can talk about who we think is most influential of the 50, but we did not intend or we did not rank the 50. And yes, because I don't know if I'm letting the cat out of the bag, but CZ Chengpeng Zhao of Binance wasn't on our list going into the final round because, you know, while Binance is a huge exchange, the biggest, we didn't feel like there was a lot of news compared to, say, what SBF had been doing earlier this year, which was making a big show of rescuing distressed companies. So that narrative pretty much turned upside down in the last month, and we did have to make some changes to the list. So once again, everyone, this has been a big year for Coindesk, a bigger year for crypto, big downer of a year, really. But you can read all about it at Coindesk and with our most influential series, check it out coindust.com. You'll figure it out. It's right near at the top of the page. Thank you, Jeannie, for joining us and walking us through what really has been an exciting year and process in figuring out where the clout lies in crypto. Anytime. This was fun. Thanks for having me. All right, Danny, let's talk a bit more about the most influential list. And there is a 
couple of people at number 18 on this list that's very near to your heart. And their first names are Ian and Dylan. Uh, do you know who they are? I think I do. They're the Saber Brothers. They're my, they're my two favorite people in crypto. I had a lot of fun with them this year telling the story of Saber, a Solana-based stablecoin exchange that really swung for the fences and struck out hard. Do you think they should be on this list? You know, I think they should be. They, I'm a firm believer that influence is not a good or a bad thing. It just is. They did some bad things by really perpetuating this myth that the Solana DeFi ecosystem was more valuable than it was because they had created this web of interlocking protocols that fed into each other. And their influence is still strong today. You still see people logging into Sabre and using their protocol, even though their empire has fallen. And for the most part, they've been shunned to the dustbin of crypto history from a personal level. All right, Cam, I've got one for you. Eric Calderon, he is the CEO of Artblocks, and he is nominated on this list for, quote, reimagining generative art for the NFT era. So uh, do you think he's deserving to be on this list? Yeah, so I'll start with explaining generative art, actually. It's really been having its moment this year, especially in 2022, you know, taking this art form that's existed since the 60s, which basically is following a set of instructions in order to create a piece of art. So whether that were written instructions to make a drawing or a painting that's kind of morphed into code that generates a piece and NFTs have allowed it to, you know, take this new life on the blockchain. So absolutely, I think that Artblocks is one of the leading projects in generative art NFTs and Eric, you know, leading up the efforts on that has really made a big shift in the space. And we've seen a lot of generative artists have some really successful collections this year, such as Tyler Hobbs, Emily G, Diana Sinclair, and we'll continue to see more throughout 2023. So absolutely, I say yes. He's also a super nice guy and uh, not a bullshitter like uh, so many other people in this space. Yeah, the art blocks people are so nice. 38 is a very controversial choice, and he's very much a stand-in for what we call peak crypto cringe. That is the one and only Jason Bourne himself, Matt Damon, who uh, featured in a widely derided crypto.com uh, advertisement during the Super Bowl and uh, uh, was laughed out of town because of it. So do you think he should be on the list, Danny, or not? Matt Damon, what a terrible ad. Fortune favors the brave. Matt Damon deserves to be on the list of most influential because he hath become a meme, okay? He is a stand-in for the froth and the idiocy and the lunacy of everything that was crypto in 2021 and early 2022. And therefore, he is very influential in telling the story of these markets. Cameron? No, I don't think so. First of all, what did he do? He was just in a commercial. Becoming a meme, he didn't have any action in that. He, The meme community, Crypto Twitter, did that. And three, I don't think we should be idolizing celebrities for just doing some PR stunt for Crypto.com or another crypto company. I mean, I don't think we should look at this list as granting, you know, power or authority to people. This is simply a question of who is the most influential, who has the most influence. It's not a reward. You could have influence for the wrong reasons. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing with Matt Damon. He has the influence for the wrong reasons. He has the big megaphone that he was paid a lot to speak through, but a lot of people heard it. And that was what their big takeaway for crypto was in 2022. Okay. Um, well, Danny, I'm glad you think that's influential. We'll have more of a conversation later about 
how memes are really impactful in terms of who's behind them or if it's just funny yelling through a megaphone. All right, guys, welcome back to another Cam's Corner. This is where we talk about culture, crypto, NFTs, Web3, Metaverse, all things in my area of coverage. And today we're going to be talking about a very interesting interview I had last week in Miami. So I was down at Art Basel for the week. And a couple days leading up to the main art event, I was at Decentral, which is a Web3 conference. And I got the chance to interview Ben Armstrong, aka BitBoy Crypto, who is a crypto influencer, content creator. He's been big on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and most recently he's been pretty vocal in the SBF case and the fall of FTX. So he posted on Twitter 24 hours before I touched down in Miami that he planned to host a Twitter spaces with SBF and that SBF had agreed to this plan. And this is a bigger part of SPF's media apology tour, you know, going around and taking these interviews and putting himself out there in a time when Most people in a situation would just be completely hiding from the public eye. So I'm going to air some of that right now. So you spoke a little bit earlier about how, you know, people can tend to get upset or hostile when you suggest a token to invest in and Mm -hmm. it totally tanks Mm -hmm. or something happens and maybe it's greater bear market impacts. Maybe there's something else where there was a hack, something you couldn't anticipate. How do you deal with that messaging? I think the crypto community needs to take a hard look at themselves and what role they are playing in the continued toxicity in this space. If you call everything a scam, you know what you do? You make it impossible for someone to determine what a real scam is. And that, if you look at the scam of FTX, the largest fraud potentially in human history, and to call FTX a scam, and then to call some other random coin that the price went down a scam, those are not congruent. So, you know, yesterday you talked about how you're going to have an upcoming Twitter spaces mm-hmm. with SBF. What do you want to cover? What is the goal of this? Yeah. What kinds of things are you going to be talking about? I'm going to ask him a question nobody else will. Uh, I'm going to ask him the hard questions. You want to get someone who's going to negotiate with you easy questions so you can tell your story? Like, that doesn't fly anymore. I want to ask him, number one, Sam, are you scared to go to prison? I want to know if he's scared to go to prison. If he's not, that tells us a lot. Right. And the most important thing I want to talk to him about uh, is tell me about your meeting with Gary Gensler. Tell me what happened behind closed doors with the SEC. Were they investigating you? Were you directing them on policy? What was your relationship like with Gary Gensler? So I'm back and that wasn't the full interview. BitBoy did get into some pretty strange questions that we're not going to air and a lot of theories around how SPF was brought up, the different types of scandals he could have been involved in that were all a part of this massive FTX empire collapse. But it is really interesting to think about some of these parts to a story that might not be in the public eye, and that even though he may be asked them, he might not be so upfront about. And something that Danny mentioned earlier when we were talking about SBF is that he hasn't gone under oath for any of this. So yeah, BitBoy might be able to ask some of these, but we won't know exactly what's true. And maybe it is, maybe it's not. We just don't know. So we'll keep an eye out for that Twitter spaces and we'll keep an eye out for what other ridiculous media appearances that SBF makes in the upcoming weeks. But until then, let's close out the show. That was Carpe Consensus. I'm Cam Thompson and join me and my co-hosts Ben and Danny next week as we talk about 
more of this crazy crypto stuff that's gonna go down because inevitably it will. Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening and see you next week.